Well, that was a blessing, wasn't it? Praise the Lord. And uh, what a time of year to think about that. And I think so many times in America, you know, we don't realize how blessed we've been. And when you get to other parts of the world and you see what's going on in other parts of the world and you see the freedoms that we have here, our God-given freedoms, the freedom to gather to this morning. Many places in the world, they don't have the freedom to meet like this. My friends, we have been blessed. And uh, I don't understand those marching on the streets for socialism and communism to you and uh, wanting to take our country to where these other countries are in the world that have no freedoms and can't meet this morning. So we should be very thankful for what God has given us here. And thank you for that reminder, brother. Just the simple things of God's provision. Thank you. We do have uh, some CDs on the back table if you'd like to get one. It's from a young lady in our, uh, our Bible Institute who plays the fiddle. We decided it was a fiddle, not a violin, right? The fiddle and the piano. But lovely arrangements. You will love the music. Very uh, just brings joy to your heart. And uh, Pastor, you have a CD player? You have a CD player? I'm going to give you a copy of this. Is that okay? For you, I won't even charge you for it, Pastor. It's a gift, so that's that's just for you. But all the funds from that are going to Compassion for Ukraine, and also you can digitally download if you'd like to have a digital copy uh, from iTunes and various uh, places. As I shared in Sunday school this morning, the Lord is doing a lot right now in Ukraine, and we would covet your prayers for uh, Ukraine and for what's going on there. I did want to share with you one thing. One of our pastors early on. In the war. In fact, before the invasion actually took place, he's on staff of our Bible Institute. Uh, his name is Pavlo Parfanuk, and uh, he wrote our students, and he said this. I want you to think about what he wrote. He said, Is this going to be a war, or is this just a rumor of war? At that point, the war hadn't, invasion hadn't taken place. It looked like it was imminent, but hadn't taken place. Is this going to be a war, or is this just a rumor of war? He said, I don't know. But I know this, the Lord promised us in the last days that there will be wars and rumors of war. He said, so whether this is uh, going to be a war or whether this is just a rumor of war, let us be faithful to continue focusing on what God has called us to do and to preach his gospel. And many in Ukraine have done that. And many churches in Ukraine have seen their congregations growing, though maybe they lost 30 percent. 40% some, even more, of their congregations as uh, they fled the country and they're in other parts of the world. But now those congregations are running what they were before, and many of them even more, some double, triple what they were running before the war with new souls, many whom have come to Christ since the war began in Ukraine. And I want to encourage us that no matter what happens in our country, uh, no matter what is going to happen, and there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, and there's going to be other catastrophes taking place, the Bible warns us of this, right, in those last days, and as we come into this period of time in God's prophetic calendar. But let us be faithful to focus on what God has called us to do, and that is what? Preach the gospel. Keep preaching and sharing the gospel. Christ is the hope, and my friends, he is the only hope, right? The only hope is Christ, and that's what people need. And as these catastrophes get greater in the world, more and more will listen to the gospel. So don't give up. Just keep on preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and focusing and singing the praises of God for his goodness in our lives. We're just going to keep worshiping him, right? Keep praising him. And one day we're going to be in glory together, singing his praises. And uh, uh, we'll, we'll see what God has in store once we get there. But I know this, eye has not seen nor ear heard, 
right? What God has prepared for them who love him. And if you love him, if you know him and received him, you can rejoice because heaven is coming. And it's a certainty and it's going to be a wonderful time. All right, let's turn in our Bibles to the book of 2 Thessalonians. The book of 2 Thessalonians and the third chapter. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And come down there with me in verses 1 through 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And verses 1 through 2. And as you get there in your Bibles, if you'd stand with me as we read the Word of God together. 2 Thessalonians, or you can follow along as I read. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Paul writes, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the Word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men for all men have not faith. Father, bless us today as we look into your Word. Lord, speak to our hearts. Show us what needs to be changed in our life uh, to be more effective, to be more fruitful for you and for your glory. Lord, if there are any hindrances, anything that's choking off the vine, Father, show us these areas. Pull those weeds out by the grace of thy Holy Spirit, by the convicting power of your word and your spirit together. And Lord, make us more fruitful for your glory and for your praise. If there be any here this morning that know not Christ, that have never been born of his spirit, May today be that day when they hear that your call, where they open their heart's door and when they invite you in. We will give you the glory and the praise, and it's in Christ's name we ask and pray these things. Amen. All right, please be seated. The Apostle Paul here is writing to the believers in Thessalonica. And Paul, as he often does, he often is recruiting those to pray for him. When he writes over in Ephesians to the church in Ephesus or to the church in Colossae, uh, he's encouraging them to pray for him. Paul was a, a, a missionary, right? An apostle, a sent one. And he went out taking the gospel of Jesus Christ into those various areas and Gentile areas, uh, confronting culture with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When he wrote over there to the believers in Rome, he wrote unto them in chapter 15 and he said, strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, right? Strive together with me. That word strive is to agonize with me, to uh, come alongside with me, to participate with me in your prayers to God for me. You see, missions, I believe, the great commission that God has given to the church is just not being fulfilled today in the world as it should. And folks, we have a mission. And as the return of Christ is getting closer, how are we going to complete this mission? In the local church today, there's only two types of believers that are truly born again. You're either a goer or you're a sender. Who are the goers? Well, those are the ones that God has called to go. And by the way, we need some more goers, all right? And by the way, there's, there's no one past the age of being able to go. Now, some of us physically, it's, it's harder. But listen, uh, Moses didn't really start his ministry till he was 80 years old, right? Pastor, how old are you? you? You're just starting your ministry, according to Moses, right? 80 years old when he began his ministry. Uh, we find the Apostle Paul somewhere in his late 40s or somewhere in there when he gets called uh, into missions to leave there uh, from Antioch. So we need goers, but there's also cinders. Who are the cinders? Well, senders are those that are called to stay. They're not called to go. They're called of God to stay in that local church to help send those that have been called to go. Well, how do the senders, how do they help send those that have been called to go? Well, one way we help to send those that have been called to go is by helping them financially to go, right? 
that's why we have a, a missions conference and where we give offerings of grace uh, to missions that we can help support those that are going, like our dear brother here, uh, going to the Philippines to start churches, to make disciples uh, for the glory of, of Christ there. And so we, we give of our finances, not our tithes. Our tithes goes to the local church, but we give these gifts of grace that help send those that have been called to go. I did a study on the Moravians. Anybody here heard of the Moravians before? Uh, they came over from an uh, area of Germany. Uh, Count Zinzendorf was their, their leader. Really miraculous. They had it down. Now, this is in the 1600s. And over Zinzendorf's life and ministry of 30 or 40 years, they sent out over 200, I think it was 220 missionaries from a group that was about 300 people. Now, folks, any church today would covet those kind of numbers to send 220 missionaries over probably a local church over a period of maybe 30 years or so. And what they had figured out was that for every one missionary that they sent, it took four families from their church to support. So they would labor, they would work, and those four families would help support that one missionary that was gone. So uh, if you're a goer, God has called you to go. You're going. God has a specific place for you to go. If you're a sender, that means you're called to stay. One of the ways you help send those that have been called to go is through your financial gifts that help them, enable them to go. But what's the second way? And really, it's not second in number. I could say it's the first way that we support them is not through our finances only, but through our what? Through our prayers. And more than your finances, your missionaries need your prayers. More important than your finances is your what? Your prayers. And that's why Paul, Paul does ask for money. And you see Paul commending churches for who gave to him financially. But more than he asked them for finances, what did he ask them for? For their prayers. And your missionaries need your prayers. And my argument today is this, that without your prayers, you, the ones that are senders here who are not called to go, you're called to stay. Without your prayers for your missionaries, the work on the fields where they go cannot be completed. That's how important your prayers are. It's a working, it's a partnership together. That's what Paul is saying. Strive together with me. As, as I go forth, as I'm fulfilling God's call to go, you who are there called to stay, you senders, strive with me in your prayers to God for me. We're working together on this team. Pray for me. Now, I want to read you a quote, and I want you to think about this quote as we think about prayer this morning. When we rely upon organization, we get what organization can do. When we rely upon education, we get what education can do. When we rely upon eloquence, we get what eloquence can do, and so on. But when we rely upon prayer, we get what God can do. My friends, if there's ever been a time when the church needs what God can do, it's today. We've seen what eloquence can do and what systems can do and what manipulations can do in many churches across America today. And we can just say they're failing. Today, my friends, what we need is what God can do. And how do we get to see what God can do? How are we going to realize what God can do? What is God going to answer our what? Our prayers. But if you look in our churches today, our prayer meetings are the least attended meetings in the church. I pastored in the Kansas City area, just a little bit west of you, uh, over here down I-70. And I'm just telling you, uh, I could get people to come to services when the Word of God was preached and Bible studies and so forth. But the most difficult meetings to get people to come to were the prayer meetings. 
the men's prayer meeting, the corporate prayer meeting that we had. Why is it so difficult to get people to come to a prayer meeting and to get Christians to pray? Well, number one, because we don't realize how much we need God. We don't realize that without him, we can do what? Nothing. If we manipulate it, if it takes place in our strength and so forth, I'm just telling you, nothing took place. Unless God is using us, unless God is blessing, unless it's coming through God and him using us as a, uh, as a conduit of his grace, nothing is taking place. Amen. We need what God can do and prayer brings God into the equation, right? If you ever think about this, that when you pray, all three persons of the Godhead are in action. Think about that. When you pray, I mean, immortal, eternal God, omnipotent God, omniscient God, all three persons of the triune Godhead go into action when you pray. To me, this is unbelievable. When I come to God in prayer, he welcomes me to come boldly to his throne of grace. And when I come, I'm to pray to him as father. So what's God the father doing when I pray? He's receiving my prayer. He's welcoming to come. He, he waits for me to come. He longs for me to come to him in prayer. And there the Father hears my prayer. Well, what's God the Son doing when I pray? Well, when I pray, God the Son is there by the right side of the Father, and he gives authority to my prayer. He ratifies the prayer. He says, Father, he's praying, and he's not praying in his name, and he's not praying by his righteousness. Father, he's coming boldly to your presence in my name and by my blood and by my righteousness. Father, hear what he has to say. I have already promised him that whatever he asks in my name, it shall be given unto him. So God the Father is receiving my prayer. God the Son is validating my prayer. What's God the Holy Spirit doing when I pray? He's interpreting the prayer. You could say it this way. He is perfecting my prayer. According to Romans 8, he is presenting my prayer before the throne of grace with words that I can't even humanly utter. So he hears this prayer, this prayer that's coming. He's taking that prayer. He's perfecting that prayer. He's communicating that prayer before the throne of grace. And all three persons of the Godhead are working when the Christian prays. Why do you think Satan works so hard to keep you from praying? Why do you think he works so hard at keeping churches from having corporate prayer meetings, times when we cry out to God to see the hand of God? I'll tell you, when I'll know revival is coming to America is when I will see independent Baptist churches, their prayer meetings filled with Christians on their faces before God, crying out for the hand and grace of God to fall upon our nation and our country. So that's how important prayer is. When we pray, we get what God can do. And my friends, we need what God can do. Now let's look specifically at Paul's three requests that he has here, okay? Number one, he says, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course. What's that mean? That means that the gospel of Jesus Christ would be unhindered. Uh, he says over in Colossians to pray for him that there would be open doors of utterance. 
So Paul is saying, pray for me that God would open doors. Pray for me that Satan that works to hinder the gospel, that his hindrances would be removed and that God would open doors for me to proclaim the truth of Christ to lost souls that they may hear. How can we pray for our missionaries? I was over in your building next door. A pastor invited me to go get a donut over there this morning. My wife was looking at her figure. She didn't go, but I went on over there. I like to look at my wife's figure, by the way, so I'm happy she didn't go get a donut, but nobody looks at my figure. I went and got a donut, half a donut with some coffee over there. Saw your mission board over there. You've got some missionaries all around the world. Do you know what they need your prayers for? That God in these countries where they are would open doors of utterance. That the word of the Lord would have free course. I saw India. I saw you had a a button there on India. And uh, I just was over in India recently and had opportunity to to speak there and and do some preaching there. And and I'm just telling you, in India, boy, there's there's 1.1 billion people. Majority of them, it's up in the 90 percentile, are considered unreached with the gospel. Do you know that it's estimated today that in the world, only 30% of the world has heard a clear gospel presentation? Okay, how many did Christ command us to take the gospel to? Every nation, right? Every creature within every nation. But yet we have areas like India today where you have over 1 billion people and something like 95% unreached with the gospel. I took some of our students from uh, our Bible Institute, SBI, and we went over to Tajikistan. Anybody know where Tajikistan is? Huh? It's just on the other side of West Virginia, all right? It's not too far away from us. It's over there in Central Asia, an Islamic country. Do you know what it's considered unreached with the gospel? 99% unreached with the gospel. How can that be that 2,000 years into the Great Commission and the Church of Jesus Christ has only reached 30% of the world with the gospel? How can there be places like Tajikistan with 99% of the population unreached? That means they have no potential to hear the gospel. There's not a local church. There's not even a Christian in that area who can reach them with the truth of Christ. Through one of our uh, uh, guys in, in Ukraine. We had a man that came and he had a burden for the country of Laos. Anybody heard of Laos here right next to Vietnam, kind of uh, in between Vietnam and, and Thailand? You got China up to the north. You got Cambodia down there to the south. It's one of five communist countries in the world. And he said, Brother Derek, I have a burden. I, I've tried to get other Ukrainian churches involved, but nobody really wants to listen. But somebody recommended I come see you. I have a burden for Laos. I know somebody there. Would you come with me there? I'd like to see if we could start a Bible institute to start training nationals to go reach their own in Laos. I said, well, okay, Alex, I'll, uh, I'll consider coming with you. And, and we did, and we started going. And the Lord began there, the Lao Bible Institute. And we now go there four times a year. We have anywhere between 50 and 70 men that come for each session that we hold of the Lao Bible Institute. But did you know that in Laos, it's something like 83 or 4 percent of the 126 people groups in Laos are unreached with the gospel. They have no potential. They're going to go from cradle to grave and they're never going to once hear about the love of God through the death of Christ on the cross. Now, do you know what saddest part about that is to me? 
is that many of us in the church today, we hear these numbers and we hear these figures and we're not moved to make a difference. We're, we're not moved. Young people aren't moved to go, uh, God, are you calling me to be a goer? Right? God, what can I do to make a difference in this? Older folks who maybe you're past the physical prime of your life, you're not physically able to go, but still don't ask the question, well, Lord, I'm just not content with the world being lost and so much of it unreached. I mean, a 30%, we are failing to fulfill your commission. I mean, do we want Christ to come back and we've only completed 30% of the commission, church? I'm from Missouri. It's the show me state. If I get a 30% on my exam, I'm going to guarantee you what my teacher is going to show me in Missouri, right? That's a failure. Now, in California, they might debate a 30% with you, right? Out there, it's a passing grade, I think. But in the real world where we live here in Missouri and Kentucky, right, we are failing. So are we moved now to make a difference or are we content with it being this way? How many of you know of Coca-Cola? Everybody knows Coca-Cola, right? How long has Coca-Cola been around? About 100. You me? Okay, very good me. About 140 years or so, Coca-Cola's been around. All right? You say, well, 140 years. Well, 145 years? Yeah, everybody knows Coca-Cola. You know what? Whenever I go in Tajikistan, you know what I could get? Didn't matter how small the place was. I might not have been a gospel preaching church there. Might not even been a believer in that town, but you know what I could get there? Get a Coca-Cola. And when I'm in Laos, I can go to small villages. You know what I can always find in the smallest little kiosk store when I go there? Coca-Cola. You know, in Ukraine right now, you can go there at war. Everything's happening there. But you know what? I can go to my grocery store uh, right there in Kiev. You know what I'll find there in the grocery store? Coca-Cola. Do you know it's estimated that that Coca-Cola logo is recognized in something like 95% of the world, 94, 95, 96% of the world recognizes the Coca-Cola logo? So how did Coca-Cola in 140, 145 uh, years reach all the world basically? But we the church who have the gospel of Jesus Christ and have had 2,000 years have only reached about 30% of the world. How can that be? Listen, I've heard it said this way, and I agree. This generation of Christians is responsible for this generation of lost souls on earth. We can't change the past, but you know what? We can change the present. We can't change other churches and what they're doing, or I can't even really change my own church, but you know who I can change? Myself. Lord, am I a goer or a sender? God, do you want to send me? Here I am, Lord. Send me. I'll be a goer. And if I'm called to stay to be a sender, then, Lord, that means if I'm called to stay, I'm called to what? I'm called to pray. And one of the ways I can pray is how? By praying for you, Lord, to give your word free course. Lord, in these countries like Laos, where there's 126 different people groups, Every people group almost has its own little indigenous language and culture uh, that is there. Uh, Lord, it's, it's impossible for us to reach these. And Lord, by the way, there are these, these areas where the doors are just closed. That's why we're coming to God in prayer. Because we can't do it, right? But who can do it? Who can call the laborers that are needed for the harvest? Who did Christ command us to pray to and ask for laborers? Aren't we to come to the, to, the, to, the, uh, to the owner of the harvest, right? And pray for what? Laborers. 
Wouldn't it be wonderful in our institute in Laos? I think we have nine different people groups of the 126. Wouldn't it be wonderful to train one laborer from each of the 126 people groups and see them sent and going into areas? We have some of our men. We've seen a church started there in, in Vintin. We've seen some of the men going into mountainous areas, taking the gospel of Christ for the first time, preaching that gospel there. My friends, it begins in prayer, calling out to God. What's the second thing that Paul asked prayer for as we continue there in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse number 1? Second thing is that the word of the Lord may have free course and be what? Glorified even as it is with you. So what is Paul saying here? Not only for the open door to preach the gospel, but for the what? The power to preach the gospel. He tells them in the first letter of, of Thessalonica, Thessalonians, he says this, he says, When I came to you, I didn't come in word only, but in what? In power and in the Spirit. You know what we need today? The preaching from our pulpits. If we're just hearing the Word of God today, uh, that's good that the Word of God is being preached. But if it's not being blessed by the Spirit of God and with power, nothing will take place. Nothing. Before God called me into ministry, I worked in sales and I could learn to sell the product. I could learn my product's advantage over my competitors and make his disadvantages seem greater, right? And you could learn to sell the product. But let me tell you this, you can't sell Jesus. Salvation is of the Lord. God has to bring conviction. And if there's no conviction of the Holy Spirit, there will be no conversion to Christ. You have many of our churches in America today weakening the gospel, watering the gospel down, trying to make the gospel non-offensive. There's no such thing. The gospel offends. It meets us where it is. It calls us to repentance and to acknowledge our sin before a holy God and that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation and to turn to Him, to bow before Him, to call out for the grace and salvation that only He can give. I read of a, of a missionary whose name was James Stewart, who is with the Lord, probably been dead now for 40, 50 years, but he had a ministry in Eastern Europe. And he went to a church that was in the country of Latvia there off the Baltic Sea. And he said that morning when he preached, he said he had such a freedom when he preached. And he said it was unreal just how God moved in that service. Well, they asked him to come back that night and preach again in the evening service. And, and he said, well, sure, I'll come back. And so he decided that afternoon, you know, I'm going up to the church early. I'm going to pray because I want that same hand of God that I had this morning to be on me tonight when I preach. And so he showed up early at the church, went down into the basement of the church. There were no lights. You can imagine what a basement there in Eastern Europe might look like. But he saw a dim light off in the corner where the first was. And he said, well, I'll go over there and that's where I'll pray. So he said, as he moved his way over to the furnace, he came up into the light of the furnace and there on the floor, he saw three women face down on the floor. And they were crying out to God in prayer on that musty basement floor. And Stuart said, then I understood why I had such power this morning when I preached. Oh, my friends, where is that kind of praying in our churches today? When are we calling out to God with such earnestness from our hearts, with, with tears and brokenness for His grace alone that can save, that can bring revival, that can bring His hand upon us? 
Where are we praying like this for countries like what we have in Laos or like we have in Ukraine or like in countries like Tajikistan or the Philippines where we're crying out those countries that are so demonically controlled? Listen, you go into Laos and they have Buddhism there and they have animism there. What's animism? Animism is the worship of spirits. Everything has a spirit, animate, inanimate. It has a spirit. And you bow before these spirits and you offer sacrifices to the spirit. And they will even say, the demon came to me in my dream. That's what they call the spirit, a demon. And that's a pretty accurate, uh, you know, uh, what it is. It is a demon, right? That's coming. And often it's a blood sacrifice that demon is wanting you to make. If you want the blessing of that spirit. Well, how would you like to grow up under that kind of demonic life? and control, and way of thinking. In India, there I was told, the Hindus, they still make human sacrifice in the caste system that they have there in India. How would you like to grow up in that kind of thinking? Now, number one, that should cause us just with our brother this morning just to rejoice and give thanks to the Lord that I have heard his gospel and that his gospel has set me free. That I live in an area in the world where I have a gospel preaching church that I can come to on Sunday and I can sing the praises of a Savior who has saved me and redeemed me and made me a child of God. That no matter what's taking place in the world today, no matter all the confusion that's out there today and the fear that's out there today, I don't have to fear because I'm with the Lord. He has a plan for my life. He gives me a peace in my soul. And I know that one day I'm going to live with Him in eternity in His very presence of presences as I sing His praises with all the saints that have been redeemed. I mean, that should give us joy. But what about the so many that have never heard? And can my prayers for them make a difference? Can my praying from Winchester, Kentucky, can it make a difference for souls in Ukraine, in the Philippines, in Laos, all around the world? Absolutely yes. You can be praying that the gospel be glorified. That that missionary, that he preached that gospel in the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit of God, that it would be glorified in that heart and bring conversion and birth a worshiper who can worship God in spirit and in truth. Let's look at the last thing that Paul asked uh, prayer for, and i got to finish up here. Verse number 2, And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. Number one, we can pray for open doors, for the word of the Lord to have free course. Number two, we can pray for that gospel to be glorified. Number three, we can pray for the protection of the one who has taken the gospel. Going to the gospel, taking them into some very hostile areas. You know, we just had an independent Baptist missionary here just a few months ago killed in Baghdad. Shot right next to his wife in the car. Listen, we're taking the gospel and you're going into dangerous areas with the gospel. Do you think Satan wants that person to be there preaching the word of God? Do you think the culture is happy that that person is there confronting it with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's why Paul is saying, pray that God would preserve me. Pray that God will keep me through this time. As, as this world becomes more and more turbulent, as we get closer and closer to that, that time that's coming, your missionaries more and more are going to need your prayers for God's hand to preserve them through a very difficult and trying time. Amen. Now I want to read you a quote and I want you to think about this quote. And the quote goes like this, very convicting to me. Almost everyone believes that prayer is important But there is a difference between believing that prayer is important and believing it is essential. 
Essential means there are things that will not happen without prayer. Did you hear me, church? Are you listening? Your prayers are more than important. Your prayers are what? Essential. And what does essential mean? There are things that will not happen unless you pray. There are souls that are not going to be reached unless you pray. There are churches that are not going to be begun unless you pray. There are laborers that are not going to be called unless you pray. So your prayers are not just important for those that are called to be senders. Your prayers are not just important. Your prayers are what? Essential. And without your prayers, the work of God is not going to be accomplished like it should. I want you to think for a moment about Exodus chapter 17. Do you remember Exodus 17? Moses is there. Uh, Joshua is there. You have Aaron and Hur there. You have the Amalekites there. And Joshua is sent down into the valley to do battle with the Amalekites. And so he takes the army of Israel down into the valley uh, to do the battle. Didn't matter the Amalekites, uh, how great their army was or that they had greater uh, met, uh, uh, equipment, military equipment. He was called to go there, sent to go there, and he went. And what did Moses do? He went up on the mountain, didn't he? Moses went up on the mountain. He lifted his hands up to God and he had his hands lifted up in prayer to God, uh, asking, depending on God, God's blessing upon Joshua down below. And as long as his hands were lifted up up here, what was happening down there? Victory was taking place down there. But you remember the story. Moses gets tired. His arms come down. And then what happens? Joshua immediately, he, the whole battle turns. I mean, he all of a sudden, now he's losing the battle. That battle he was winning just a few minutes earlier, that stopped. Now he is losing the battle. And then you remember Aaron and her come alongside Moses. They lift his hands up into the air until the victory is won. So here's my question for you today. Where was the victory won? Well, some would say, well, Joshua, he had the sword, he had the army. I mean, it was a great victory that day wrought by Joshua. Say, well, praise God, Joshua did what he was called to do, and he fought valiantly there for the Lord. But really, where was the victory won? It's one up on the mountain in prayer. Okay, here's my question. You have missionaries. I saw the board over there. You have them sent in various places in the world. Julie and I get the privilege to be uh, a couple of those missionaries that are sent. We go down into the valley. With, for the Lord, for His glory, to do the hand-to-hand -hand combat, right? We've been called to go. You all are sending us, and we praise God for that. But if the victory is going to be won down in the valley, where is it going to be won? It's going to be won by those who've been called to stay, who are up on the mountain lifting us up in prayer, saying, Lord, give your word free course. Lord, glorify your gospel. Lord, preserve and keep them as they proclaim your truth. Your prayers for us are not just important. Your prayers for us are essential. And essential means there are things that will not happen without your prayers. Listen, we have a day coming when Christ is coming back. Are we ready for him to come? We have a lot of work to do before he comes. We need to be on our knees, don't we? Calling out for his glory to be known in all the earth. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and for your grace. And Lord, we thank you for this church and their faithfulness to us. Lord, help us to realize, oh God, uh, the, the duty that you've given to us to take this message. And Lord, where that duty really begins is coming to you in prayer. 
calling out for your grace. We need what God can do. And I know today, Julie and I need essential prayers from this church family here in Winchester. God, help us to labor and pray and work until your commission is fulfilled and finished before you come. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.